0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: People are trapped in history, and history is trapped in them. James Baldwin.
2: There's a shelter that says the next five miles are gonna take you five hours, four to five hours, no matter how good of a hiker you are. So I'm looking at that. I roll into that shelter at two o'clock, a storm's passing. And I'm like, okay, if the storm passes by three, I'm gonna get on this road. So the storm passes from two to three and I get up over Burnt Rock Mountain is, sounds as gnarly as it really is. You're literally climbing up a rock. And uh, I got into a hairy situation Coming on the backside, there's actually a knotted rope, and uh, you have to make it down with the knotted rope. I was wearing Montbell Gators at the time. They held all probably 265 pounds of me as they were caught on a root. So I'm splayed on this mountain, legs are splayed, and I'm trying to lift myself up like I'm out of this chair to get off of this root.
1: I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. To the john freaking your pod lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails short and long with your host and renaissance man doc it's time to embrace the suck welcome back to another week on the trail i'm doc and this is the john freaking your pod let's start off with a reminder if you are enjoying the podcast take just a minute Help us out. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right. This week, we are taking a trip through time. Have you ever stopped to think that the Landar Trails Pass-Through has been around for a long, long time and has been a host to a lot of history? Well, I stumbled across this week's guest on Instagram, and his account is devoted to this concept. Welcome to the John Freaking Mirror Pod, Roger Gross, creator of the History Through Hiking Instagram account. How's it going, Roger.
2: Uh, Pretty well, happy to be here, and thanks for finding me. I'm excited to share some uh, uh, stuff that I see historically significant.
1: Yeah, you know, I just stumbled across your account and uh, was really intrigued at some of the tidbits you were dropping there about uh, some of the things on the trail or near the trail, and so really, really uh, excited to talk to you tonight.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is pumped. I get to talk about some of my passions, so I mean, it's a great opportunity to spread the word, and uh, some of the places that I've been and seen, it's I got to share it with somebody. I can't keep it all to myself.
1: Nice. This is this is an educational episode tonight.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure we'll get some silliness in. At least we'll try.
1: Yes, lots yeah. of silliness included. Very good. All right. Hey, have you picked up a trail name uh, during during your time on the trails kinda- out there?
2: I spent a lot of time on the trail and didn't really have one because I was, high hike by myself a lot. And I was out in uh, New England for the last six and a half years before I came back,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but people always told me they didn't want to be out all day. So I just kind of assumed that as a trail name because they, I'd say, Hey, let's go do this. And they'd be like, ah, they don't want to be, I don't want to be out all day. And it's just kind of been something throughout my life. That's kind of, uh, caught on. Cause I do want to be out all day. I want to maximize my time. And, uh, some people went hiking with me and they didn't want to go hiking with me again.
1: I it love all it day. all yeah. day. That, that is an epic trail name. That's fantastic. How long are you going to be hiking today? All day. Yeah. You know what? Hey, uh,
2: yeah. how long,
1: how long is your good mood going to last all day? I mean, yeah. it, it, there's all kinds of applications for this. This is fantastic.
2: Absolutely. And, uh, my buddy, John told me, uh, that I should be adventure pants because, uh, I wear the arcade adventure belts and they kind of click uh-huh. and I'm like, Hey, uh, we, we're, we're well, now that I've been out here, I've been able to spend some hiking with him. I'm saying, Hey man, uh, You're wearing your adventure pants. So just kind of be a little thing. So he says, I should be adventure pants. He could be fancy pants because he's working in finance. And then uh, we'll be the brotherhood of the traveling pants. But it hasn't developed yet. It's just still a a pipe dream.
1: All kinds of concepts floating around out there. That's nice. (laughs) That's nice. On the podcast here, we don't go by, we don't go by our actual names. We go by trail names if you have one. And so I'm glad you've got one. You'll you'll be all day for the rest of the episode. And of course, I'll be doc. Perfect. Okay. Hey, all day, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before?
2: Uh, yeah, I've actually, uh, after our contact, it's kind of renewed my interest in listening to a podcast because I spend quite a bit of time walking uh, around my community because there's some hills and it's good practice. Uh, so I've been able to listen to a lot of podcasts. I was kind of drowning in music, so it was nice to get refreshed. And it was kind of neat to listen to some of the episodes, uh, like Yosemite Sam talking about the long trail. And I had those moments too. And then there was a few other uh, guests that talked about Connecticut and New England. So. That was an area that I really kind of was pounding feet in. So it was nice to align a bridge with those folks listening to the podcast.
1: Yosemite Sam, also known as Jeremiah Stringer. He was a lot of fun to talk to. Absolutely. He just had a different pace of life. I mean, even the way he spoke, he he spoke a lot slower than I did, which (laughs) uh, it, it really calmed me down. It was nice talking to him. Great. And I think uh, Ginger Balls and Scrapbook also did the long trail. They did an episode with us uh, recently. So if you haven't listened to that one, that's another good one to to take a listen to if you're interested in the Northeast.
2: Yeah, would recommend.
1: Yeah, nice. (laughs) All right. Hey, I only ask you if you've listened to the podcast, cause I want to make sure that you are aware of a segment towards the end of the episode called the pro tip insight of the week. And that's why I will turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make sure that their next outdoor experience is even better. Now, of course you are expected to drop trail wisdom throughout the episode, but you will be on the hook for, for, uh, an official one at the end.
2: Sounds good to me. I'm committed.
1: Okay. You're committed. You're, you're, you're all in all day.
2: I'm
0: in. <laughs> okay. The must bring gear
1: review. All right. Hey, another feature we've been doing this season is the must bring gear review sponsored by the outdoor um, ultralight backpacking gear company, Outdoor Vitals. And here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So all day, what is your must bring piece of gear?
2: I think for me, it would be the uh, Alpine Carbon Cork Trekking Poles by Black Diamond. Um, I tried some cheap trekking poles when I was first learning how to use them because it's definitely a learning curve and they would wobble or make noise. And then I was like, okay, so I want something a little lighter. I was going to go carbon. And then I wanted the heavy duty ones because I'm a big fella. I'm considered a plus size hiker. So I'm out there and it's funny, just a quick segue when you're going up a hill and you're huffing and puffing. And people are like, Oh my God, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. I'm like, dude, this is like the fifth one today. Like, I know I'm going to make it like, I don't need your uh, patronization, you know?
1: <laughs> right? Um,
2: but yeah, those poles for my knees, man. And like carrying a bag and stuff with, uh, I know I can trust them. I don't have to worry about rolling an ankle because I use my pole. Anytime my ankle starts going, I just plant that thing. And, uh, they are sturdy. Um, I wouldn't say they're super lightweight, but they're lightweight enough Uh, But I have nothing but good things to say about those Alpine carbon corks from black diamond. And uh, I will say that I did climb in Mount Washington. I snapped one, I sent them a picture and I said, Hey, and they sent me a fresh pair. And I was like, realize that maybe it was my fault. However, they're a great company. They take care of their products.
1: You gotta love companies like that that really stand behind their product. And even if it's your fault, they're they're gonna they're gonna back it up and they're gonna send you a new pair. That's fantastic.
2: Absolutely. And then you know you kind of cannibalize that one because when I snapped another one, <laughs> you cannibalize and you got spare parts, so that works out. You don't want to keep going back to the well. That would be taking advantage.
1: Spare parts. That's another classic trail name. I haven't heard anybody with it, but that I <laughs> just jumped out at me right there. Spare that parts.
2: Brilliant. Spare parts. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and you know what? You know, being a plus size hiker. I mean, yep. you, you may be a little bit slower on the on the uphill, but, but gravity works in your advantage on the way downhill, right?
2: Absolutely. I'm like yeah. a spider. I'm going out. I'm like, boom, 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 <laughs> yeah. boom. You know, and I can move pretty good otherwise. And then, you know, I tell you, all the walks I've been taking around the community as uh, I've been improving every day, because I'm doing five mile walks roughly. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple big hills going up because this is the gold country. Uh, I've already noticed some improving my conditioning. The only difference is, I'm here at fifteen hundred feet in the foothills. I'm hiking in four to eight thousand feet, which isn't too bad. But anything Mm -hmm. above that, uh, I don't know how I'm going to react yet. And like ten thousand feet, am I going to be able to do it? Am I going to get sick? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: that's almost like a pro tip right there. You do not need to uh, be out on a trail to start to do prep for 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 a a big hike. I mean, you can be on the streets and, and doing the hills in your neighborhood. And even though you are out in the country where you are. Uh, for, for those folks who are city dwellers or or in the, in, in the suburbs, I mean, you don't have to be out on a trail, get out there, do some exercise, take a nice five mile walk and, and get ready for that hike.
2: Absolutely.
0: It's the hiking pole.
1: Now I've got, uh, another segment called the hiking pole and it's, uh, ironically, it is not about the pole in your hand. It's not P-O-L-E. It is P-O-L-L like a survey. And I use this hiking pole to judge the level of sanity of the person that I'm talking to. And so I have seven questions for you. And based on your answers to those seven questions, I'm going to give you a score between one and a hundred. With 100, you are completely sane and one, you are absolutely bonkers. So you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. Nothing too complicated. And in fact, I think you may have already answered the first one. First question is trekking poles or not.
2: Yes. Uh, I have to have trekking poles or my knees probably won't make it.
1: Okay. It's another point of contact with the ground and they're always good for river crossings as well.
2: Uh, my, I have a pretty good size upper body strength too. So mm-hmm. it allows me to push really well or take the heat coming down.
1: Yeah. I mean, it takes the pressure off your knees, but also going uphill, it's almost, it's almost like holding onto a railing and pulling yourself up. Right. I mean, it's, a, it's an assist.
2: I, it's like a four by four, you know?
1: Right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Next question, boots or trail runners?
2: You know, uh, I've been in the middle of this because I tried trail runners, the Ultra Lone Peaks, for example, when I did my first backpacking trip was uh, basically New Jersey on the Appalachian Trail. And those rocks really beat me up. My feet were quite tender um, and it led to uh, me compensating, which led to other things uh, hurting. Uh, and I've worn, uh, Solomon makes their Quest 4D Gore-Tex boots, and uh, I climb Mount Washington in those. They're a little overkill, I think, for backpacking, um, but it's been tough. It's, it's, it's hard to go back and forth. And I think when I did the long trail, I started out with some Solomon's X-Ultra 4s, which I would call a hiking shoe, um, but I destroyed those 190 miles in. So I still haven't quite dialed in what I'm going to be doing on my next trip.
1: Okay. So the official answer is unsure.
2: First is, yeah, I don't have a clue. Okay. Hands in right. the intercon, I don't know.
1: There is a, a point deduction for unsure answers.
2: Okay. Fair yeah. <laughs> just,
1: just, you know, just being, being <laughs> transparent here. Yep. And, you know, I totally get where you're coming from, where if you, if, if you hurt the bottom of your foot by stepping on a rock, and that's constantly happening. And you adjust your gait based on, you know, pain or trying to avoid that. That can lead to other problems in the hip or, you know, elsewhere. Um, and I'm reminded of this by the, the story of Dizzy Dean. Have you ever, hear, ever heard of Dizzy Dean?
2: The baseball player? Or baseball I,
1: player. That's right. Okay. He was, he was yeah. a pitcher. Very good. Okay. Very good. I'm, I'm showing my age and and uh, yeah. you're, you're admitting a little a little bit there too. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Dizzy Dean was a pitcher who took a line drive off his toe. He broke his Absolutely. toe. And he, you know, I think they were in the thick of a playoff race and he came back a little bit too early and hadn't completely healed and he still had soreness in his toe. And so he adjusted his pitching, uh, style because of that. And he ended up throwing out his arm and he ended his career that way. Wow. So just a little thing yeah. like that. I mean, it's an ex- yeah. a perfect example of what you're talking about.
2: Absolutely. I, I, I know that, uh. I had strained my quad really bad. And then I was like, okay, that makes downhill going to probably still go uphill, but downhill is a problem now. And I was beat. I learned a lot on that trip before. And that was a couple months before I got on the long trip. I never backpacked in my life till I was 42 years old, Mm -hmm. a lot of camping, but never did the backpacking. And that was a, a great education. But of course I'm putting all my gear together and I would say that backpacking um, is one of the things where no matter what gear you buy, the best gear, all that stuff, until you get out there and use it, you don't know what's going to work and what's not going to work. And uh, the Lone Peaks, maybe I should have tried Temps. They're a little thicker, but the Lone Peaks, they did not serve me well on that.
1: Mm-hmm. Any any issues with the zero drop of the shoe?
2: No, I love that. Yeah, same here. Think, mm-hmm. oh, that was so mm-hmm. great. And, like, I still have them. And I'll probably still use them again, but I might do some modifications on the inside of the shoe to protect them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I transitioned from boots to trail runners, and it happened right between hikes. I, my foot, my feet were just killing me with the boots. And I said, I can't continue this way. And I, I went to a sporting goods store. Didn't do any research whatsoever because it was like, <laughs> you know, deadline. I had, to, I had to get this done. I showed up to a sporting goods store, and I found the um, Brooks Cascadius.
2: Oh, okay. And
1: it seemed like they had a, a nice, uh, a solid rock plate. It wasn't it wasn't a rock flip, but it was it was a stiff sole, which I thought would, would stand up. And I put those babies on and haven't looked back since. Now, so I have, I have gone to Lone Peaks uh, after that, but the Cascadias oh. were a great option.
2: Nice. So, uh, they were they were super comfy and I wore them around REI and the guy showed me the runner's loop and everything, and I was super pumped to get out there. And then I didn't realize I was gonna be walking on pointy little rocks all day. <laughs> it was rough, and then because they, they, I only had six days, I kind of like I had to make twenty mile days on some days, and I was just—I just put myself through it.
1: Wait a second—they didn't have pointy rocks on the floor of the sporting goods store. <laughs> no,
2: they—you know—they had what the heck, man. Really Let's go. Man. It out. But yeah, it was—it uh, wasn't—it wasn't the the northern Pennsylvania style rocks.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah, sir. That—that's great that you're walking on carpet. I want you to try out our Pennsylvania section now. Come yeah. over here, and walk on these rocks, and and tell me how they feel. That—that's—I yeah, mean—seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Next question. Tent, tarp, hammock, bivy, or cowboy camping?
2: Wow. Um, I have a tent. I yeah. uh, like a tent because you know, you're know you sealed in, you're protected from the, uh, the elements. Now, I was spoiled out hiking in the East Coast, so there's a lot of shelters, but out here, we don't have them. So, I'm going to be using my tent And uh, I like to be protected from the bugs. I don't have to worry about it. I like to be Mm -hmm. able to, you know, change my clothes and stuff. And not have to worry about being around people. And I I enjoy the shelter of a tent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And changing clothes is difficult in a (laughs) bivy.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. It's like a mummy bag. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's pretty sane right there. Yeah. All right. Uh, Sleep system. Do you prefer a sleeping bag or a quilt?
2: You know what? I would try a quilt, but I have a sleeping bag now and it works for me. I'm using a, a Nemo Disco, which is a 30 degree bag, but I've even been hot in it most of the time. But I like their spoon shape so I can move around a little bit. Uh, but I'm a I like the idea of zipping up a sleeping bag, a quilt I might throw everywhere from rolling around. Not 100% sure. I'm open to a quilt, but I'm going to go sleeping bag.
1: All right. Now, someday in the future, Roger, get there, Roger, all day. Someday in the future, all day, you have to promise that you're going to give a tarp and a quilt a try and oh, absolutely. expose yourself to the elements and see what it's all about.
2: I would love the cowboy camp too. Now that I'm out West and the weather's a little better.
1: Yeah. Hey, now that you're out West, you know, there is an Island off the coast of Southern California, Catalina. It has okay. a, it has a 38 mile trail. It's called the trans Catalina trail. Oh, neat. And I had the opportunity to, uh, to, I've done that a couple of times and cowboy camping on the beach at Parsons landing, man. Epic. Awesome. You can't, you can't beat it. It's awesome.
2: And you have, there's bison there, right? Is not that what I heard on your podcast?
1: That's right. That's yeah. right. They brought the bison over for a, a Western movie they were filming. Yeah. And you know, a little bit of trivia that they never, they, they got left on the cutting room floor. They never made an appearance in the film and the, the uh, producers of the films decided it was too expensive to bring them back. So they just left them there.
2: Wow. I mean, it's nice that they're there, but uh, that is the true symbol of America. bison as much as the eagle you know what i mean right that's a huge symbolism and i i love them they're just they're massive creatures
1: they are massive they are massive there are signs everywhere saying you know stay at least 80 feet away but i always say that you know the bison can't read that so
2: yeah especially when they uh i saw there was an uh a video from yellowstone where a bison gored another bison because it was upset with it and that was the end of the other bison i was like wow you don't really expect it to go that fast but they it was real bang bang
1: yeah, kind of I, I, I would suggest running serpentine. See if that. See if that deters them if they're chasing <laughs> yeah. you.
2: And the people at uh, like Yellowstone National Park on that boardwalk going through uh, the bison—it's a little sketchy. Yeah, but.
1: taking your life in your hands there.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. Here is an important question. All right. They. You ready for this one? I'm ready. Okay. So your your food system—you prefer a stove, cold soak, or stoveless?
2: Uh, I'm a stove kind of guy. Okay. I have stove because I'm having my coffee. Or I'm having a backcountry mocha, which is instant coffee and hot mm-hmm. cocoa mix. And uh, I'm heating my water to pour in my bag to eat my snacks. Mm-hmm. I like hot food.
1: Okay, good answer. I against so-
2: cold soaking, but hot food is something I can't do without coffee.
1: Careful there. Careful with your comments because, you know, the cold yeah. soak, that's an automatic 30-point deduction. So.
2: Oh, man. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I've. I know that people say that, oh yeah, you know, it'll be ready by the time you get to camp. You know, it takes, how long does it take to boil water? It takes 10 minutes for that stuff to hydrate. I got time.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. It'll be ready when you get to camp, but you know what? It's cold.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's that's the downside. Yeah. It's cold. Okay.
2: I didn't even get my soup vegetables rehydrated on my first day of the long trail. So I had some heavy fiber in there and my stomach was turning in knots that first night. It was brutal.
1: (laughs) It's like having some bark for dinner.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah.
1: All right. Next question. Is life better above or below the tree line?
2: Oh, man. Above the tree line, you don't have any shade. And that could be real tricky. um, But you get some pretty incredible views. I'm going to say below the tree line because most of the time your water sources are there. There's shade there. And then, uh, uh, I don't know. I just like being in the trees.
1: Like being in the trees. Yeah. All right. With, you ever see a squatch out there?
2: No, I was looking. <laughs> I'm sure they saw me, but I didn't see them. Yeah.
1: yeah am, am I the only guy that comes back after a hike and you look through your pictures and I'm looking for a squatch in the background somewhere? <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: That's probably just me. I don't know.
2: Yeah. They're probably laughing at me and I'm taking pictures of the wildflowers and the mushrooms and, and the fungus and everything. Yeah. I, I geek out on that stuff when I'm out there. That's, that's part of being in the forest for me is taking it all in.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, is that an ice cream truck in the background I'm hearing?
2: No, so I have lots of chimes. I see the uh, chimes
1: in the background. It's a little
2: windy, yeah. So there's lots of chimes. I hope they're not too loud.
1: No, it's fine. It, it, okay. it adds, it adds ambiance.
2: Okay, excellent. Nice, yeah, nice. Yeah, we got a little afternoon wind picking up here.
1: As we are recording down in Southern California, the winds are like 35 miles an hour. It's it's oh, been, wow. it's been windy for the last 12 hours. It's been nuts. Okay, hey, last question of our of our seven question hiking poll. There are three American long trails. There are the uh, the PCT. The AT and the Continental Divide Trail, the CDT, and they all run north to south or south to north, depending on your perspective. This question asks, you know, should those long trails, should they be hiked northbound or southbound?
2: I don't think that they should be hiked northbound or southbound because depending on the time you're starting, the weather, um, I think flip-flopping is okay. As long as you're completing the trail, Mm -hmm. no matter how you do it, it doesn't really matter to me. I don't know if, do you need a definitive answer?
1: See, it's a trick question. I, I, yeah. And if any of my future guests are listening, just just turn off the radio at this point because <laughs> you know I, I'm trying to pigeonhole you into northbound or southbound when the answer is, and you know, it, it, that's not neither one of those is the is the correct answer necessarily.
2: Yeah, there's still uh, Washington Oregon border on the PCT, and I'm sure CDT too. Is so then you have the snow down south on the and on the AT. It's like how do you how do you get around that? You know.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, well navigated all day. That was a great job. <laughs> let me, let me do some quick addition here. Okay. We need to uh, subtract this, got to carry the two, We've got to uh, divide by two and multiply by pi and you come out with a solid 85.
2: Oh, that's pretty sane. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That might've been our, that might be our highest score at this
2: point. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty chill, man.
1: So well done.
2: So, thank you. I well done.
1: It. Just, a, just a little bit of crazy. in you.
2: Just a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Some of the crazier stuff is that I do when I'm out there, like, uh, I'm like, can we cross that? Yeah, we probably can. Let's give it a shot. All day. Yeah.
1: Cross it all day.
2: All day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pull myself right. in the Mansfield in the rain. That was a hoot.
1: All right. Hey, let's get to know you. Where, where did you grow up? Let's hear about your background and uh, what, what kinds of sports and hobbies did you play growing up? And how did you get involved in the through hiking cult? And I, and I know you said you, you came to it lately. And you did a lot of camping, but I'm really interested to, to find out that moment. I love hearing about the moment where people realize that through hiking or backpacking is a thing where you put everything on your back and you, you just go. So tell us about yourself.
2: So I am from the East Bay in the in the Bay Area, a little town called Union City. It's kind of between Oakland and San Jose. And uh, at a, I played baseball growing up. I played a little football in high school, threw a shot, put in a discus just for shits and gigs. And then I uh, uh, started working. And then I realized when you're working, you can make money and then you can do whatever you want. So those kind of things went to the side. Uh, At a very early age, um, I come from a family of sportsmen and outdoorsmen. So I was camping up in the Sierra about 45 minutes up the hill from here. Uh, I live in Calaveras County now, but up up the hill is a place called Union Reservoir, uh, which is almost the Bear Valley ski area talk deep in the Sierras, it's kind of butts up to the Carson iceberg wilderness. And, uh, we used to have the four by four in there and I learned how to shit in the woods there. I learned how to camp there. I learned how to hike there. I learned how to catch fish there. So, I mean, that was kind of my growth and was nice. Mom and dad would take me out of school on Fridays and we'd boogie up the hill. And they also took me to camping in RVs. We, we had a camper when I was little, I graduated to a trailer and then, then they got into motorhomes and stuff. Uh, but we did, actually, when I was 10 years old, I think in 1989, we took a trip We went down to Las Vegas, Hoover Dam, Grand Canyon, uh, up through Utah, through Zion, Bryce Canyon, uh, Idaho, Montana, went all the way out to Custer Battlefield, came back through Montana, we have family in Anaconda, where there's an old copper smelter there, then we went west through Washington, Idaho, Washington, came down Oregon, Rogue River, so being able to go to all those national parks, I was hooked instantly. What then, a trip. Right? Yeah. So i had always had a passion for the outdoors and then, you know, animals. You remember, I'm a show major, but zoo books, they would just mail you books about animals. And obviously there was your forest friends and your safari animals, but constantly reading on that, going on trips, going to all these historic places. It may be where I picked up some of my panache for history and whatnot. Um, and then traveling every time we travel we try to go hike somewhere um doing a, a, a lot of exploring and exciting stuff with that and then i realized i think i realized when i was day, day hiking the at in connecticut i did connecticut massachusetts and i did new york over the winter because vermont is a little more rural and it was tough to get up there there's more snow i'm like man i gotta go i'm only getting 10 miles i'm doing 20 miles but it's only 10 miles of trail I get to see it both ways, which is great because sometimes I miss things and you get to see it. I was like, if I backpack through there, I could double my output. So that's why I did New Jersey. I mean, it started like eight miles south of New Jersey and Pennsylvania so I can get through the water gap, which was truly stunning. And I was like, well, I'm making some moves now. And then also you're carrying everything you need. You're self-sufficient. I don't know. It was just like free. The freedom of doing that was really exciting. Part of doing the long trail on my own time is I didn't have a schedule. So you just get up, you walk, you hang out, you stop. You don't have to be anywhere, any place. And that was, I've never felt more free in my life.
1: It it is really a simple version of life. I mean, you are breaking camp, you're walking, you're eating, you're making camp, you're sleeping, and then you're doing the same thing the next day. I mean, it's just, uh, it's beautiful in its simplicity.
2: Seeing things, talking to people, talking yeah. to the forest, talking to the animals. They haven't talked back yet, but I'm trying to figure out a way to communicate. Dr.
1: Doolittle. An That's another thing. Yeah,
2: I had a guest at the bar and I was telling her that she was like, I wouldn't tell that to people. You sound crazy. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm not making out with you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you so. know what? Your score of 85, that can adjust during the interview, depending on what <laughs> kinds of <laughs> bits you, you, you drop along sure. the way, so...
2: Yeah, we now we at an 80, it's, now 80
1: it's an 82 now. So, okay. Okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Did I kind of cover uh, the bases you were looking for on that? Do you have it, a snapshot of who I am?
1: I think so. I think so. Okay. Good, good, good picture of who you are. And I find a lot of, the, a lot of people uh, have an experience near one of the long trails when they realize okay. that, that backpacking is a thing and walking thousands of miles. That's a thing. Hadn't realized it before, and it sounds like you kind of got that experience near the AT,
2: yeah. I get that. Yeah. So, like, I left the Bay Area at 24, moved to Las Vegas for 10 years, then I moved to Indiana for a year. Uh, and then I moved to Connecticut for the last six years before I just came back. So, I traveled a lot, even when I was in Las Vegas, I was able to go to Zionash Park and hike the Narrows. Um, that kind of perked up. I didn't get much in Indiana, even though they have Brown County in South Indiana, it's supposed to be beautiful, but I'm in Connecticut and I we I was I've been lucky that I have uh, adventurous girlfriends and I don't know if it's just because birds of a feather flock together, but started going out to uh, she was the one that actually brought me to Manadnock in New Hampshire because her mom picked it. And I was like, what a groovy lady. Her mom was great. Uh, but then the other girlfriends and stuff I had, we go camping in uh, Taconic State Park, which is in New York, just over the Massachusetts and Connecticut border there. And they have uh, a beautiful campground there with some hiking trails, but it goes to Bash Bish Falls in Massachusetts, which is one of the most beautiful waterfalls, I think, in the country. I even saw a painting of it in the Yale Art Gallery there in New Haven when I was living in Connecticut. And seeing that somebody painted 100 years before I even got to see it, or even longer, and I was like, wow, we saw the same thing. And that was kind of a historical footstep significant thing where i'm walking in their shoes and then i'm cruising around driving through connecticut one day out in the northwest in litchfield county where some beautiful hills turns into appalachians and i see a sign for the appalachian trail and i was like wow the appalachian trail comes through connecticut here so i was like i gotta go get on this thing so i cover it there's only 51 miles in connecticut so i cover that quick and i started banging out massachusetts next thing i'm I'm hooked. I'm researching the rocks, the trees. Um, Those mountains are a heck of a lot older. They're not as big as the West Coast mountains, but they're 500 million years old and they've been grizzled. And from what I've seen, I haven't done a lot of hiking, but other than that area, the Carson Iceberg Wilderness, a little bit of the desolation, but it was covered with snow. Um, The hiking trails out here looking a little easier, um, not at elevation. I haven't done anything mountain peaks, 10,000 feet yet, but them trails back east are rough.
1: Yeah, it's counterintuitive, right? I mean, I've talked to a number of people. I've never been on the AT. I've been in the Sierra. I've spent a lot of time in the Sierras. Never been on the AT. But I hear from a lot of people that say those trails back east are no joke. They're, I mean, there's there's not a lot of switchbacks. It's like straight up and straight down.
2: Yeah.
1: Whereas the, the trails out here, I mean, there's, there's a lot of switchbacks in the Sierra. So, yeah, and
2: some of uh, these are rated for horses, so they're a little wider and
1: right. stuff. Right, yeah. It's you so you would think. You would think, you know, with passes at 12,000 feet, 13,000 feet, you know, Whitney at 14, five that, you know, out here would be just a harder hike, but I'm not sure that's the case.
2: Yeah, I know. There's some wild knife edges, uh, back East and stuff. And Mm I, uh, I mean, I went through it, I went through it and I, I enjoyed it. It is, it is beautiful and it is stunning and it's wet rocks, it's wet roots, it's wet roots, roots and rocks. And then it's like, wait, some parts of the long trail is not even a trail. Like the trail doesn't exist. It is a slab of rock with roots. And you're like, how am I even going to get up this thing
1: with a ladder? Right. Isn't there a few, a few there, spots yeah, where there's some ladder ladders?
2: Ravine, ladder ravine was super scary, except for when I got there, I was like, Oh, it's just an aluminum ladder that somebody bolted in there. So I just, I got down it, but there was some, I would say coming into Appalachian gap near Waitsfield, um, That's before you break off to main junction. Uh, there was uh, some, okay, I'm like two miles from this gap and I know I'm going into town. I'm gonna have a cold one. I'm gonna get some tacos. I got a resupply. Um, I was thinking it wasn't gonna take long, but then I'm going straight down a wet, disgusting mountainside with there's rods bolted into the rocks. There's uh, some ladders and it's just wet. I'm like, I'm. it took me a lot longer than I anticipated. That's when I started realizing, okay, I got myself in a little bit of action here. And then once it broke from Main Junction, that's a whole nother ballgame. It started getting wild. And that's what uh, I think Yosemite Sam said, too, Jeremiah. Yeah. yeah. Things get a little more narrow.
1: Yeah. Hey, uh, all day, I've got to go back a little bit here. My, yeah. my my listeners would be all over me if I didn't ask this question and do a follow-up. Sure. You mentioned adventurous girlfriends. Yeah. And I need to just clarify, was that were yeah. they – they, uh, all at the same time? Would you have multiples at the same time? Oh, it no, was no. Plural, or is this a series of adventurous girlfriends?
2: Uh, a, a kind of a, a series as it, it. transpired. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm a one-woman kind of man. Mm-hmm. I try to be a proper gentleman. Uh, but it's just fun when you can go out and you can build a camp together and you can share seeing those sites. Because it's great to see them on your own, but to be able to share it with somebody, especially sure. somebody you care about, uh, It means it means a lot to me. And I'm currently looking for that next adventurous girlfriend,
1: okay. And you you learn about you learn a lot about each other out there, too. I mean, there's no hiding out on the trail,
2: yeah. Well, shoot, I had one girlfriend that was so good. She was tying, we built a shanty town because uh it was going to be rain. I brought a few tarps, she was out there tying knots, setting it off. And I was like, man, you're a dreamy, (laughs) that's great. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of fun. You know, you could you could share those moments, it's just it means the world. So, I'm trying to find a new uh adventure girlfriend it's hard to get roots with somebody back east when you know you're coming home west and you know they're like into it in the beginning and they're like yeah we'll go on adventure and i'll move there with you i don't know if that's the voice that they sound like but that was the voice (laughs) he used but uh (laughs) no man when it comes push comes to shove they're like i'm not changing my whole life to go out there to the unknown so you know i'm starting from scratch here all right definitely applications for adventurous uh ladies who also have a little bit of uh uh, penchant for cuisine and uh, coffee.
1: Okay. You heard it here. If you are interested, you can always email me at johnfrickamer at gmail.com and I'll get you in touch with Roger.
2: Outstanding. I appreciate okay. it.
1: Okay. Uh, hey, all day. How are how you paying the bills these days? What do you, what do, you do to uh, finance your adventures?
2: Yes. Yeah, so I am currently working in a beautiful little tourist town. as uh, an old famous gold rush town called Murphy's which is about nine miles up the hill from here. There's 25 wine tasting rooms. It's called the Napa of the Sierra, but it's a town of 2,200 people. There's only five liquor licenses and liquor is my expertise. And I've just gotten them to uh, let me take over the ordering and doing the beverage program. So I am basically bartending and implementing a beverage program and uh, sharing my unique brand of hospitality with the guests that we have there
1: implementing a beverage program. I love that. That's great.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's like, so a way a chef would create a menu. I'm doing the same thing with fresh ingredients and the cocktails and I have to exercise my costs, make sure the prices are right. Make sure we're making the cocktails good and they have to be the best cocktails around. Um, cause that's what I do. I'm used to working. I worked in Las Vegas, uh, at the cosmopolitan. We opened that up and it was a nerdy cocktail bar called the Vesper bar, Uh, And I traveled across the country for the last, you know, eight years before I came back, opening bars, implementing programs, training people, uh, growing my bartender family tree. Uh, Last at New Haven, I was running an Indian street food restaurant called ShareCon, like the tiger from the Jungle Book. And uh, that was the most fun to be able to. That was the first program that I was able to do on my own. And when I mean program, it's not just liquor, like it's uh, non-alcoholic beverages are a huge thing. We're doing to-go packages. Um, creating bottled cocktails, like anything liquid, um, I'm your guy. So you might even add a cocktail uh, segment to your podcast down the road sometime. And I will be happy volunteer to be your cocktail expert.
1: Nice. <laughs> I, I, just thinking that you're, you're, you're on the prowl for an adventure girlfriend. I mean, what a, what a great pickup line that, uh, oh, I just lost it. it um, anything liquid is my game.
2: Anything liquid is my game.
1: Man. Right, You're, that's spot on, man. Okay, it's nice. fluid. <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Any any good bartending stories?
2: Oh man, I uh, I'd probably say
1: probably the, too many to count.
2: Yeah, working in Las Vegas, especially that hotel, because that was the hottest resort to open in 2010, and we had um, I had Gary Clark Jr. sitting at my bar because he was performing a show talented musician not a lot of people knew who he was and he was like hey man how are you doing just an average joe i had gordon Ramsay come and ask him where the bathroom was and i was in the weeds making cocktails and i was gonna look up be like come on bro but it's like it's gordon Ramsay. And i'm just like wow um i had a kid gordon Ramsay. he he he
1: yeah. can be he can be mean you, you, seen, yeah. you seen him on his
2: show he... <laughs> absolutely <laughs> i think he said something sound like hey mate where's the loo or where's the bathroom you know in his accent and i look up and i was like a little bit of shock but we had so many famous people there. One of my, one of my favorite stories was, um, I call it the stuffed platypus story. And there was a young girl who had a stuffed platypus and I don't remember much about it. And there was this guy who was a New Jersey, Connecticut tri-state area guy with the spiky hair, right? You know, the spiky hair, like Jersey shore. Yeah. fist pumper. And he, I think took the platypus did something with it. And then the girl got upset. So this guy I call the Arizona Ranger, uh, a la big iron fame. And he was a thin wiry guy, country strong, like didn't look really tough, but he could carry six buckets of feed. You know, he could, and uh, they get into it over the slap stuff, platypus, and they start getting after it, smashing a table. This is right here in a luxury resort at our bar in the lobby, kind of the hotel, the bar off. And uh, eventually this fist pumper guy bites a quarter size, hole out of the arizona rangers face and they break up the fight nobody ever found the stuffed platypus but the arizona ranger declined any medical care with a hole in his face and i was like "That is the toughest one of the toughest dudes i ever met
1: wow he could probably take a will smith slap
2: yeah you know <laughs> speaking of slaps, so i'll bring up another one i had but this- hang on, hang up on before you before you, go, yeah, before go, you go on before you go on to the slap story yeah. <laughs> um stuffed
1: platypus i wasn't sure if you were talking in code or it, was, no. it, it wasn't actually a stuffed platypus
2: i don't know if it was a uh a comfort platypus <laughs> or a, a service stuffed platypus because they didn't i don't know if they had that back then um but it was definitely something it was kind of it reminded me a lot of her binky of sorts and i i don't know i didn't i didn't judge her for that i was just more of the eruption of of violence over a stuffed platypus and okay. the and stuffed just platypus to- was never discovered And just to
1: clarify, was was it like a a plush toy that you buy in a store or was this an actual platypus that had been
2: taxidermied? Oh, no, this was like a uh, like a Beanie Baby size. Okay,
1: all right. All right. In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, she's got a taxidermied platypus. Is that even even legal? I don't know.
2: Stuff like that happens in Las Vegas. Uh, That's right. Stories that aren't as prudent. I can tell you about people, (laughs) but if you got time for a slap story, I'd like to tell you that one.
1: Let's hear the slap story. All
2: right. So there's these two guys at the bar. They kind of look like Laurel and Hardy and they're the East coast Bison types like, Hey, yo, how you doing? You know, it's living there. I got to experience that, which is really fantastic. Kind of like two dudes out of Sopranos, right? Mm -hmm. And they're there and they're talking to this girl. And uh, the one guy gets a little creepy, said something. She's not as happy. And then there happens to be these, giant two offensive lineman sized characters that are just right on the other side of the bar. And he says something, to the, the, the the guy, the Laurel and Hardy guys about being creepy and the guy starts piping up. So the one guy walks over to the, uh, the offensive lineman guy kind of gets in his face. I would say the offensive lineman, this guy was big, but the offensive lineman guy had another 75 pounds and maybe a half a foot on him. And he open-handed slapped him. So hard that his, I felt like his face went down hit the bar and he came up. And that was the end of that ordeal. Those, the, the, uh, Laurel and Hardy types left and the lineman went back and finished his cocktail and Sol- they, you know, solve that problem. He was called, it was just like real bang, bang.
1: Yeah. Moral of the story. Don't, don't be approaching offensive lineman size <laughs> folks with a beef.
2: You gotta be careful who, you, uh, who you pop off to.
1: Yeah, that's right. If Chris Rock had been just a little bit bigger and, and beefier, maybe that doesn't
2: happen. Yeah. You know, and I think too that that Chris Rock actually is is a lot tougher than than he lets on. And I think that he just took the high road and was was being humble in that because he couldn't believe it was happening. But I think Chris Rock could throw down if push came to shove.
1: Yeah. And you know, I have a I have a, a thought that maybe he he was as Will was walking up to him he kind of puts his hands hands behind his back and he kind of leans forward. Right. I mean, he, I think he knew what was coming or had an inkling that this might be, this might be you know something coming like this. And he, he leaned into it. He took it and uh, you know, barely
2: missed a, a beat. He took it with grace. He did indeed. And he kind of leaned into it. So, I mm-hmm. mean, I don't, if it all comes out in the wash later that that was some type of a, a plan or something, I won't be surprised, but, who knows? the The world is truly a crazy place.
1: Yeah, I don't think I don't think it was planned. Just from all the fallout that's happened since then, I don't I don't think it was planned. Certainly. But but who knows? Who knows? Right? Exactly. Yeah. All right. Hey, great conversation. Love the love the stories. If another one comes to mind uh, during the rest of the episode, you know, feel free to to tie it in somehow, and we'll, we'll talk about it. But <laughs> yeah. we're gonna take a a quick break, and we're gonna get okay. into uh, some tales of adventure and also some history through hiking. So Sounds stay great. tuned for that. We'll be right back. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. The John Freakin' Muir Pod is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, The Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, whose mission is to improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of mankind by facilitating impactful outdoor experiences. Outdoor Vitals creates innovative technical products with confidence-inspiring education that empower outdoor ultralight adventurers. Their focus on performance enables you to live ultralight with gear you can actually be confident with. Whether you're looking for an ultralight sleep system, shelter, or pack, or if you're looking for top quality apparel for the trail, You can find it at Outdoor Vitals. Do yourself a favor. Live ultra light. Want to make a podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. And here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We were talking to all day. I just heard some great stories from the bar, and now we're going to transition to uh, some great stories from the trail. So let's talk about your hiking resume and what, what what kinds of things you've done out there. I know just from your earlier comments, you've done some section hiking of the AT. Is it a goal to section hike the entire AT?
2: Oh, I don't know. I, I would like to, but, uh, where do you really find the time a lot of times for that? Um, but yeah, I mean, I would like to complete it because I underestimated New York. I thought New York was going to be kind of easy and boring. I was just doing it cause I wanted to keep hiding, but, uh, hiking, but New York was actually really, really rewarding. And, uh, even Connecticut gets a lot of crap for being not that great, but you have a section where you come into Rand's view, which looks like uh, uh, idol, the, where, the, what was that? The Javon trap family, that movie, the sound of music,
1: Austria. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I see, yeah. And I see like the idol vice going on and she's dancing around a thing and you get up uh, close to bear mountain in Connecticut. You have a uh, lion's head bear mountain coming down the back of bear mountain is really sketchy. Sager's ravine, um, that section from Rand's view through Mount Everett, which is just over the border into Massachusetts is truly outstanding. There's even a side trail that I did with two of my adventurous girlfriends. Um, from different,
1: different occasions, right?
2: Different occasions. Yes. Uh, it was, uh, some, gosh, something false. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on her. I was thinking about it all day cause it's such a fun trail, but when you get to, uh, you get past Sager's Ravine. You're getting over Mount Race, which is beautiful because it looks off over a valley. Oh, Racebrook Falls. That's what it is. That's a side trail that goes down you can do. It. And even if you're driving into Massachusetts, Racebrook Falls is something I would highly recommend because it brings you right up this waterfall. It's a really, really tough trail. And then you get to the AT. You could bang a left and go to Race Mountain or Mount Race, or you could bang a right and go to Mount Everett when those are two really great spots in Massachusetts. Now, there yeah. is spots in New York. Connecticut and Massachusetts, where it's farms, it's rolling hills. It's easy. There's a few road walks, but that area is just not to be missed.
1: Yeah. And for some of our folks who may not be strong in geography, just want to be really clear that when you take that, that left turn, that's, that's to Mount Everett and not Everest.
2: Yes. Yeah. (laughs) It's a different continent,
1: different continent. And I just want to commend you on the, the amount of ground that we have covered in this podcast uh, episode so far We've talked about stuffed platypuses. We've talked about uh, slaps in the bar. We've, yeah. talked, we've talked about the Von Trapp family. I mean, we, we, we're we all over the place. And it's just
2: Absolutely.
1: epic, epic episode. I
2: didn't did even get to the Von Trapp brewery after my long trail hike. Um, <laughs> and Because uh, I didn't see the sights. And you got to go to the Alchemist. I mean, there's a ton of things to do. Uh, northern New, If I ever moved to New England, northern New England, would where i'd be northern mass uh northern the berkshire's in mass western mass beautiful too but vermont is special new hampshire has some special places and maine i've never gotten a chance to get in the woods there but i've been to portland and like kenny bunkport and maine is truly stunning as well
1: mm-hmm. and the because
2: people are cool
1: and good bars too i mean because liquid, refreshment, uh, yeah, liquid refreshment is your game
2: you know, I went to, when I was in Burlington, I went to a, uh, a cocktail bar that had video games. Like, you know, the video game bars are kind of like the thing now, mm-hmm. the retro style, but they had incredible cocktails. And I was like, man, I could see myself living here. I could be working at this bar. I open a bar like it. I got to get away from bartending and start either opening a bar or a restaurant, do that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think I've got my knowledge. Obviously, we're, we're still learning every day. Nobody knows everything, right? You're constantly learning. Mm-hmm. That's right. But I need to start applying the knowledge because that's the time that I spent away working on myself, working on my craft. It's it's about time for me to uh, start start flexing a little bit.
1: Uh, you know what? You need to open a bar. Call it Liquid Refreshment. Is my game. I will. I'll be there in a heartbeat. <laughs> I'll, I'll come. I'll come for the liquid refreshments and stay for the stories.
2: Yeah, hot drinks, cold drinks, frozen drinks, room temperature drinks. We're gonna do them all. We're gonna do a, the whole game.
1: Nice and all day. I think there was a Freudian slip earlier. Yeah. Instead of saying hiking all day, you said hiding all day.
2: Oh, is this
1: an escape for you? I mean, what, what what are you trying to avoid?
2: Yeah, you know, and, and hiking is an escape for me. And I okay. found it like being in hospitality, um, it's, it's a lot of pressure and people are constantly yelling at you. You have a lot of pressure to get cocktails out on time. Did that table get cleaned? We have to make sure we can get somebody else there. We got to turn these tables. So being able to use, and I think that's kind of how I dealt with the beginning of the pandemic Uh, I still worked for the first year of the pandemic, packing up food to go, creating really cool packages of booze. And I needed that escape to deal with those frustrations. And I hiked alone a lot of times because I don't have people to hike with. Although now that I'm back here, I've been spending a lot of time hiking with my buddy, John. Um, But that has been my escape. And I've spent a lot of time with like butterflies landing in front of me. And then Fluttering around and not really like running away from me, and I'm like, "Are they communicating with me? What's going on?" You got your critters. You have like the down the, to
1: 79 now.
2: Yeah, the <laughs> what is it? The uh, uh, wildflowers change with the seasons. You get to see it in the beginning, the ones that come up, and then they go away. And the new ones take their place. So, um, I've I've seen a lot of ground in California. I've hiked uh, Zion National Park. Hiking the Narrows was a huge thing for me um to be able to hike i hiked in mount lassen i've done some stuff in uh, yellowstone on that trip that i took um but really it really ramped i be, besides all the hiking i did as a youth up in the sierra there um it really ramped up for me in connecticut and being able to do that about 440 mile stretch of appalachian trail and some of it both ways which is really cool It adds to the mileage mm-hmm. and then subsequently doing the long trail and then now coming back here meeting my My buddy lives in a Northern gold country and we meet in Placerville, which is kind of close to where gold was discovered. And then we go up highway 50 to South Lake Tahoe to Echo Lake. So now I've a couple of times we're trying to get over to Tamarack Lake and then Aloha Lake, which are just the, apparently the desolation wilderness there is one of the most hiked areas of the PCT and one of the most hiked areas, I think in all of California. So to be able to go there and run around in the snow, stand in the middle of the lake and look out at these really cool little cabins and stuff and then walk by some of the cabin doors are open. You, you don't break and enter because B&Es are illegal, but you snoop around, you look a little bit and maybe close the door and try to protect it from the elements. Um, seeing that has, I've seen a lot of different terrain and there's so much more to see. Uh, I want to get up more into Oregon and Washington, some of those sections of the PCT. I actually had a PCT permit um after i was going to come off the long trail to try to get 500 miles in to uh to make that permit but the wildfires yeah were just so bad and that's something i think i'm gonna have to deal with more often now
1: yeah uh, unfortunately
2: my outdoors so yeah my next plan for hiking is john and i want to uh well i gotta call him by his trail name which is uh fancy johnny pants Blaise.
1: oh johnny yeah. blaze okay fancy
2: pants is the new one we're constructing but he's known as johnny blaze of the group the doobie brothers with his partner cloud ripper which is my buddy adam
1: i sense so, a uh, theme
2: yeah <laughs> so <laughs> we've been, uh we're going to do i think from echo lake to yosemite
1: okay and now I mean, oh, yeah, we, yosemite. we talked about talked about yeah. section hiking before i mean if you were to just do 100 miles each summer and you could do it, you could knock off the pct in 26 years
2: not bad if i'm still yeah. walking in that would be great you know there you I, go I'm doing a kind of a a Benjamin Button style of my life. Like I've always been a plus size guy and sometimes I've been healthier than others. But now I think at 43, I am the most healthy I've ever been in my entire life. And uh, my blood work is good. My stamina is great. I'm not huffing and puffing. I'm strong as an ox. And it's just, it's real exciting to me. I'm going to try to continue to get better as the years go on. So who knows? I could be a, a Granny Gatewood type or some of those other cats that are just out there Crushing it.
1: That's right. That's the way to do it. I mean, you, you do the healthy stuff as you get older. That way you, yeah. you, know, you do the unhealthy stuff when you're young, when your yeah. body can your body can take it. And then you get healthy as you get older and you give yourself a shot.
2: Yeah. And I could tell you, after spending so much time behind bars, um, not in prison, but working behind bars. And then when you get off work, you're on the other side of the bar. You realize you're spending 18 hours a day in a bar, and you're like, there has to be a better way. And then Las Vegas. There is no last call. There is no turning off. So there's a chance that you could spend up to 24 hours in a bar, not the same bar. I guess you could. Um, as I've gotten older, I've really curtailed my drinking and like, you know, I'm not an everyday drinker. I drink when it's advantageous for me. Can I get a really good cocktail? Then I will drink. Can I get some really, really good beer? Then I will drink really great wine. It's just a matter of who's making cocktails. If they're making cocktails, I'll have a cocktail. Nice. I'm the only one in my area that can make great cocktails right now because I came from. Usually, people don't come from big markets to small markets. They kind of grow in that. So I'm trying to bring that style of cocktail to the Gold Country, um, and they're finally letting me do it. And I'm taking baby steps. Uh, I'm is not. That, is escape. that a line
1: of people behind your patio there lining up for <laughs> drinks after this episode's I, done?
2: I sure hope so. <laughs> off coffee, espresso. Like espresso is a huge part of my life. I have a. Machine, I, I'm i uh, the world's crappiest coffee influencer because um, I'll go and I'll buy beans and I source beans and I run through the machine. I kind of talk a little bit about them and I post it on my uh, my normal life social media. I broke off history through hiking because I really wanted to be focused on the outdoors and history. And I still need to do a better job of touching on more history. I've been just trying to do content, but I've gotten a little busier. So you'll see a return to more Historically significant content. I just have to have time to do a little more research.
1: All right, and I think a couple of minutes ago we stumbled across the title for this episode. It's all day behind bars. All day behind bars. And then if that if that doesn't hook you in, I mean, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what what what, what you know, will. So
2: I can just imagine. Just, say, just have me behind bars. That'd be good. Just <laughs> holding the holding some, <laughs> some chains. That would be neat.
1: Now, are you, do I get the sense that you're a detail slash logistics kind of guy, or you'd like to, when you're going on a hike, you just like to to wing it, not do a lot of research.
2: You know, I am, I'm quite a methodical planner in a lot of aspects and I do a lot of research. That's why I started listening to so many hiking podcasts before I started backpacking. That's what convinced me to try trail runners, uh, which the jury's still out on, but um, I'm kind of one of those ones. I have a plan in my head. I plan it out super meticulous and methodically, but if things don't go exactly to plan, there's wiggle room, plenty of wiggle room. I'm not like, I'm not neurotic. I guess you'd say, right.
1: Or, you or can't, you, you can't, you can't be a multi-day hiker and be neurotic about it sticking to your itinerary. Cause it yeah. changes, it changes. You don't make the progress you think you're going to make, or you make too much progress. And, and then what are you gonna do? So you have That's to, you really have to be flexible. A, I think
2: these, uh, what are these these uh permit systems out here? And like you need to be at this campsite on this day. How do I know I'm not gonna blow out an ankle or something? You're out right. of your mind. I gotta plan that three months ahead. You're I watching. don't even know where I'm getting my stuff. That was like uh one of the things And we bring up planning and stuff. Okay, so I sent four or five boxes on the long trail mm-hmm. resupply boxes. First one I never even picked up because I stopped in Manchester. Um, the first because other people stopped in Manchester, and then also when I started the trail. It was 90 degrees and about 80% humidity. So I was sweating so much. I never felt there was some record breaking, I guess, heat there in Vermont and Massachusetts. I was stepping down and sweat was sloshing out of my shoes. Like I stepped in a puddle and I had gaiters. I had long pants. I had long sleeve. I had a Tilly airflow adventure hat and I'm drinking I'm drinking three gallons of water, just trying to keep up. And it was like that for the first four days. So after that, I man, everything, all my clothes are wet. Nothing dries.
1: You're like so a pail. You're like a pail with a few holes in the bottom. You just uh, keep, keep sticking in the gone. water and keeps just dripping out of you.
2: One of the first things I did when I got to Manchester was cut, uh, cut the legs off of one of my pairs of pants. And then when I got to Rutland and the next resupply, I sent some stuff home because the bugs weren't as bad as I thought The black flies and the ticks weren't as bad as I thought it was going to be. But getting into Manchester, I had a blood blister from my socks being wet and rubbing, but it was under my big toe. So it wasn't on the front of the toe, wasn't on the pad of my foot. I can kind of deal with it. So like a knucklehead, I'm uh, compensating for that, walking around Manchester, getting my resupplies, lifting my toe up. So lifting my toe up, that ligament there, now my right leg is swollen because I came out of that first uh, resupply Manchester. I spent the night in a hotel, Sheen, clean, showered, ready to go wash clothes. And that was when I got my first trail magic on that trip because dudes washed my clothes for me when I went to resupply and I was like, they were a wet pile. So I'm sad they had to touch it, but good on them. Cause they were cool. Um, and I, that first day out of Manchester, I went to Mount Bromley in the rain and, uh, I'm doing really, really great to keep my feet dry, not getting wet. Next thing you know, I'm walking up a ski slope and I'm covered in wet grass. So now, wet grass is like my worst enemy when I'm hiking because you're just going to get wet because you're just walking through it. And Bromley was rough, man. That was an adventure. There was another mountain behind it. I did 17 miles that day and then got to a spot and I was just beat. I only made it five miles the next day or a couple of miles to Little Rock Pond. And that's where I took my first zero day because my right ankle was so swollen from compensating by lifting my toe. That I was like I'm going to stop I'm taking a zero day at this shelter it was 4th of July the next day and uh that shelter was great I ran into a little moral dilemma getting to that shelter um little rock pond because there was four flats four double bed size flat bunks and then there was three of them were taken up and there was a family there who had hiked in 2 miles from the parking lot and they stayed there and they were just partying there and I was like wait this should be for hikers but then I'm like who's to say that the public is not allowed to use this space they They're coming here they it's a public place they're allowed to use it too and you know what it all worked out i had some dude i met named the jolly purple giant who might have had purple toenails and fingernails but he was hiking in uh those thin chaco sandals i think and uh he was a cool dude i was like bro just bunk next to me get out of the rain and they the when the people left the next day they left me treats the most interesting thing i'm taking a zero day in a shelter is that I was there the next day, it was 4th of July, I started listening to, you know, the, the oldie stations play the Firecracker 400 where you listen to all the old jams. So I'm playing those jams. And it was like conducting field interviews because people come in to take a break and you sit there and you talk to them. So I talked to like 10 different people that day before everybody came to camp. And uh, that helped me. I put myself on a 10 mile a day kind of a curfew or a, a plan for the next few days so I could kind of rehab. And that's what sorted me out and got me ready When I got to Rutland and it breaks off at Main Junction, the trail gets a lot. That's when the long trail starts getting real. And and people will tell you that the Appalachian Trail portion is easy. But no, you have Glastonbury uh, coming down into Bennington is like straight down. You have Killington, I believe, too, uh, which I didn't get to go in the tower because there's a bunch of tourists there and it was hot. And I wanted there was a spring right on the other side. It's just it man, you
1: hey all day. Let me let me yeah. jump in right here. Go ahead. Let me jump in. Yeah. So we, we covered a lot of ground right there. Yeah. We, we covered a lot of territory. I think it all yeah. sprung from my question of whether or not you were a detail detail guy yeah. or you just like to wing it. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we, went, we went for a wild ride right there. We we yeah. we we were all over the place. we heard about ligaments and blood Sorry, blisters. And, I just go. Yeah. and
2: and, and <laughs>
1: families, uh, you know, two two mile hikes into the into the shelter. That was, that was a, a romp of yeah. through just a lot of good stuff there. Um, of all the trails that you've hiked, do you have a, a favorite trail? I want to say. Cause you've named dropped Narrows, a lot of, you, you've named dropped a lot of trails today. Yeah, so already. The
2: Narrows were mind blowing, but I would have to say that the long trail would be my favorite because it was three, it's only 273 miles plus the four miles out of Massachusetts because that trail doesn't have a starter and end. It starts in the middle of nowhere. You got to hike to Mm -hmm. both, and, uh, just my experiences there, the people of Vermont, the people that I met, I have so many great stories of things that I did on that trail. And, uh, that would have to be my favorite trail. Okay. And And it's the oldest long distance trail in the U S which makes it historically significant as it inspired the Appalachian trail.
1: There you go. It's it's a great segue. We're going to get to the the historical moments here in a second. Do you have a favorite moment on the trail? Favorite story Uh, from the trail? Uh, maybe an uh oh moment of like oh, what am I doing out here, or have, or just a moment of bliss.
2: I uh, one of my main moments of bliss was right near the end at Jay Peak because that is the long that's the biggest mountain at the end essentially, and I think it's forty something hundred feet, maybe four thousand feet. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing there and I'm looking back at Mansfield, Camel's Hump, and uh all of the other mountains that I climbed over, and it's just you have that surreal moment of. I climbed over all those mountains with my own two feet, carrying everything I needed. And I met a lot of cool people on the way. And that for me, and I have a tremendous amount of great memories from that. And even some of the culinary adventures that I took. Um, But the moment looking at Jay Peak, and that was the only one of the few Bluebird days, because I would say three to four of the 4,000 footers, I was socked in a rain cloud. And, you know, you got to keep going. You don't see anything. You know, I have some satirical uh, videos of that. I took of myself going, look at the view, you know, and it's just rain clouds. I can tell you my greatest culinary moment if you have a second for that. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so I was in Stowe and uh, which is a phenomenal mountain town and everything was walkable. And I found this butcher. It's called the butchery in Stowe, Vermont. And I walked in there. And I was hungry for lunch because I was sourcing new shoes because my Salomons got ripped up. And uh, I ordered a filet mignon shawarma, a farro salad. It was kind of Greek style with feta cheese, cucumbers and tomatoes and a uh, Chinese five spice seared ahi tuna. And I ate that all for lunch. And that was the best time. And I also picked up some tartufo, which is a truffle sausage and this very special uh, cheese that was a Vermont cheese, which I brought out and I had a charcuterie plate later in the mountains that I, uh, cause I carried olive oil packets, Montreal steak and garlic powder. So I jazzed it up, but that was my greatest culinary moment. And I had some good snacks on the way and stuff, but still the butchery, they'll sort you out. They got what you need.
1: That's not your normal trail food.
2: No, you know, and then that I'm sounds foodie, pretty right? dang good. So, yeah, I'm a foodie. So I carried out. <laughs> I saw an old man at a shelter and he had a hunk of cheddar cheese and I was like, you know what? I forgot hard cheeses don't need refrigeration. I bang that out over a few days. So, you know, I started and I have my pocket knife. So I'm cutting up salami chubs and I'm cutting up uh, cheese and I'm, I'm living high on the hog there. You know, in addition to my cool backpacking meals that I, I made, I started with the mountain house, like a chili Mac or a chicken and rice. And I added corn. I added soup vegetables, uh, textured vegetable protein. I was building my own super calorie dense meals to hook me up.
1: Now you're a foodie that just gave extra meaning to your Gordon Ramsay story earlier.
2: Yeah. I like think seeing him like, wow, I was a little starstruck. I, I met so many, so many famous people there. I have so many stories, but who has the time for it? I mean, I have hours. Yeah. Of
1: yeah. and, and you being a foodie and also a, a history guru, can you tell us about where the phrase came from of high on the hog? You're eating high on the hog. You said what, uh, uh, what, what is the background there? Do you know?
2: The only thing that I can assume is that you're eating the tenderloin because that's up on next to the, the, the spine there. And that's the most tender of the thing. And uh, even though the price of bacon has skyrocketed or pork belly is uh, the yeah. fancy restaurants call it. Yeah. And you're high on the hog. You're eating better.
1: That's right. You're eating the choice cuts. Very good. The
2: choice cuts. Those loin chops. Mm, I love a good double cut pork chop on the bone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is this gonna this be a food episode nice
2: yeah uh, shout out to uh herbs and Ryan, las vegas pork and figs great restaurant try that dish it'll blow your mind
1: okay yeah. i'm writing it down all right hey let's let's transition to uh history through hiking cool so do you have some moments you can share with us or some 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 specific yeah. sites and the history behind it that I you've have, encountered on the trail
2: let me just dabble in my little notes here um all right so when i'm out there on the at right i'm i'm start looking up information and i'm looking at um kind of the history of the trails the history of the mountains the history of where it goes there's literally this much old growth forest and I, you can't see this at, at home but it's a very minute amount of old growth forest in new england because when the colonists came they oh, it. Oh,
1: oh wait a second take that hat off again we'll see the hairdo
2: Sorry.
1: oh look at that
2: that's, that's the best place it grows now at 43 yeah
1: nice now everybody who's listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify you have to hit pause and transition to YouTube uh, to see what we're talking about there the wild you, hair you can you can see when he's talking about old forest you can see how you know how far apart his fingers were and then you can also see the the point where he takes his hat off
2: Yeah.
1: okay no keep doubt. going sorry about that
2: no no you're good that was an important part the hair the hair's groovy <laughs> yes um so i'm i'm going along these parts of the trail and i'm i'm learning more and more about um i'm like why are the trees so small why are the trees so short you know because i'm used to being out here uh 30 minutes from here is calaveras big trees which is a giant sequoia grove it's a state park it's very very beautiful would recommend coming up to see that um and i want to know where the old growth forests are there is a little one in connecticut off the mohawk trail which we'll get to um but people have come to this trail before and things have happened here on all these places whether it's Um, the natives, whether it's a revolutionary war, whether it's a civil war in some spots and then going, going on, there's always history in these locations and you stumble across and you start reading about them. And some of the sites that I saw, even in Connecticut, like uh, driving up to the trail through Litchfield County, which is the Northwest corner of Connecticut, where the Appalachian trail comes through, they have a bunch of old houses from the 16 and 1700s. And you're just looking at these structures and just in awe and they're still there. Um, you have the, uh, the old crane paper mill in Dalton mass. So I came out of the forest into Dalton mass immediately went over past this little ice cream shop. And I had some ice cream because there's nothing better than coming out of a hot woody day in the summer and treating yourself to a nice cone of ice cream. Now the ice cream there wasn't as good as great Barrington at Soco creamery, which great Barrington best trail town I've been to in Massachusetts. Highly would recommend SoCo Creamery, um, But this Dalton, this beautiful, and I have this, one of my posts is about this Crane paper mill in Dalton, Mass. On uh, History Through Hiking. And this paper mill was, I think, the second paper mill after the Liberty Mill, which was constructed in 1770 in Massachusetts. Um, that was the first one that Paul Revere made banknotes at. So Crane is the official paper mill of the United States currency that's been there since the 1700s. That one opened a little bit later after the Liberty Paper Mill. And I'm looking at this beautiful building and the the river's going by. And I'm like, wow, there is some significant history here. And you see these little moments all across the trail. Like even when I got down to New York and I'm in the Putnam Valley and I'm looking at this sign and it says that the Continental Army was here. And then I walk past these ruins and it says there's an inoculation station. And there's a plaque and there's some ruins and you're looking at it and you're like, wow, George Washington contracting um, smallpox in Barbados as a youth realized how dangerous it could be. He starts getting all these soldiers inoculated and there's ruins of an inoculation station where the continental army was at after repelling the British. And like, I don't know, man, like walking in those shoes to me was blowing my absolute mind to see that stuff. And walking in the footsteps and then you start thinking about the people that came before you. Cause all of these trails, some of the trails are built. Um, all of these trails were normally uh, game trails, animal trails that the natives picked up on. So the natives turned them into trails. And then finally the European settlers uh, expanded on those trails. And a lot of those trails are trails that you see are still trails or even roads. Like you would say that the wilderness road and the Cumberland gap down in uh, Kentucky that daniel boone pioneered well i don't can't say he pioneered because he followed native trails but he as a european pioneered it for westerners uh to get through that area and expand into kentucky where they had noted animals that had never been seen um by european eyes the natives knew they existed but all these settlers had no idea that there was big animals there and as they got further west imagine doing the oregon trail and getting to see um I guess you see moose in New England, but seeing an elk for the first time, that'd probably freak you out, you know, giant bears and stuff. Um, So you're always walking in someone else's footsteps, whether it's Granny Gatewood, whether it's Benton Mackay um, or Myron Avery, any of these people who helped initiate some of these trails. Um, It's just really kind of neat to put yourself in that perspective and experience you're seeing what they saw. Like there's this beautiful pump house on Mount Greylock that uh, overlooks a pond and I caught it on a great day. And I have the reflection in a photo of um the pond reflecting. And I just, those are moments that somebody else saw, maybe the pump house obviously wasn't there back in the day, but you're, you're still sharing these things with people who are long gone, but maybe their legacy lives on there in spirit. You know what I mean? You try to try to think about those things, being, being on trails and following those footsteps. It's just, for me, it's everything.
1: Yeah. It gives you the chills. I mean, we are so far removed from the natural life these days. I mean, people growing up in cities, uh, you know, you ask, I think they had to redo a standardized test that asked, you know, where, where, did, where do you get milk? You know, the correct answer is cows, but you know, they, they'd write in, I get it from the, the grocery store. I go you know, to the, the corner market. They have no idea, right? They've, they are yeah. just so far removed from the natural world and being able to get out there and experience it firsthand and have this realization that, you know, this, this is what it must've looked like before, for the Europeans got here and, and the, the, it was just the native Americans here and yeah. trying, to, trying to see it through those eyes. is just, it's just powerful.
2: Abs- I mean, absolutely. And you, and you see some of it has changed and, not, and some of it hasn't changed uh, with the, Warming of the climate, I've noticed there's a lot more blight in the forest. They're not as lush as they used to be, um, but back east, it's not really a problem because it's like um, there's constant rain. It was like a rainforest, you know. It's like that's one of the things about the Long Trail being the oldest long distance trail in the U.S. And it's you say it's a it's funny it's a long trail, but it's really there's all these trails that are three thousand miles long, and it's only three hundred miles long. Um, it What it lacks in length, it makes up for in tenacity, Yeah, which is just totally, totally crazy.
1: Um, Yeah, there was a documentary about a woman trying to set the FKT on the long trail. Do you happen to see that? I think it was on Prime I, I or Netflix. That.
2: Yep. I did yeah. watch that.
1: That was wild.
2: I come from the school of, uh, and I think that's great, and I really recommend that, but I would rather slow down. I think it was the last episode I was listening to the podcast. So what was it like? Half your speed, double your pleasure, or something. Yeah, yeah, like for me, man, I need to take it in. I need to say, and I'll bang out twenty miles if I can, but not many people are banging out twenty mile days on the north part of the Long Trail. It is, it is rough. There is, we'll dabble in that because we're still in the history thing, and I have a few other things to cover. But the hardest section of the Long Trail is right before Burnt Rock Mountain. There's a shelter. It says the next five miles are going to take you five hours, four to five hours, no matter how good of a hiker you are. So I'm looking at that. I roll into that shelter at two o'clock, a storm's passing. And I'm like, okay, if the storm passes by three, I'm going to get on this road. So the storm passes from two to three and I get after it and I'm like, okay, I got five hours, three o'clock, eight o'clock, and I'll make it to camp right at that time. And I get up over burnt rock mountain is sounds as gnarly as it really is, you're literally climbing up a rock. And uh, I got into a hairy situation coming on the backside. There's actually a knotted rope, and uh, you have to make it down with the knotted rope. And that side was a little slippery because of the rain, the other side, the sun had dried it. And uh, I was wearing Bell gators at the time, and I will highly recommend them to anybody because they held all probably 265 pounds of me as they were caught on a root. So I'm splayed on this mountain. Legs are splayed. It's caught on a root. I got my poles in my hand. I'm like, okay, let's throw the poles down there. Threw the poles down there. They were fine. They didn't crack or anything. And I'm trying to lift myself up like I'm out of this chair to get off of this root. But that Bell gator held all my weight entirely. And then I was able to get off and I got down and my prize for getting over that was climbing Mount Nathan Allen, which is another almost 4,000 footer that had a bunch of switchbacks. And each time you thought you're at the top, it kept going. So I finally made it into camp at eight o'clock and that, that was right before camel's hump, which is, uh, another tough part, but that was my, my toughest day on the trail. And I don't know if maybe mentally, because I struggled with that, uh, gator on that route and I was thinking I was going to die. Um, it added to that, but it was definitely, that is the hardest part of the long trail. And, uh, don't ever skip it. Some people want to skip it. Don't skip it. You got to rock it out.
1: Got to have a full experience there. Yeah. The full hanging by a gator from a, from a root experience,
2: yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, back to more of some historical stuff. Also in New York, the old Albany post road. I didn't know. I didn't know much about this when I got there. I, I you know, I pull in I'm going this road and it's a dirt road. Then I realized this dirt road is almost 400 years old. It was there when it was the new Netherland, a colony of the Dutch between New York and Albany. So they could drive the mail. And at one point it was only very, very narrow. It was a, uh, a, a game trail that the natives had used. So the natives, I think, carried the mail for the first two years going across there. And I'm driving on this road and I'm the AT goes right across it. And I'm like, wait. The trail is not the only draw to this here. And this road still hasn't been paved for the 6.6 miles of the section. There's billboards everywhere. It says, don't pave it. Keep it the same. There's still mile markers that have been restored that are historically significant. And like those are types of things that you don't even expect to see when you go hiking. But when you run across them, it's like, oh, my goodness, this is absolutely fantastic.
1: Now, hang on all day. So it's not paved, but there's billboards along it.
2: Yeah. And the houses, they, cause it, like people live across it. There's some, McMansions. Okay. there's right. some serious McMansions on that. And the, and the trail does cut between kind of where the backyards are. And it's the thing about New York on the AT is it, uh, it's 900 feet up, 900 feet down, 900 feet up, 900 feet down. It is not very nice. It is tough. It's a lot tougher than people make it out to be. Cause I think the highest, the highest point is 13, maybe 1300 feet at best. And I might be overestimating now Mount Marcy in the Adirondacks, 5,000 feet, you know, for something like that. But the AT doesn't have that section. It's like that was tremendously uh, nerdy. And then also, you know, when you start, you start going down the rabbit hole of like who's been on this trail before me. And you start looking it up and you go down that rabbit hole of research. Now that also made me think I forgotten my hiking to talk about the Adirondacks and the Catskills. My other adventures girlfriend took, we took some trips up there and uh, upstate New York is absolutely beautiful. And the hiking there is great. I would highly recommend I went, we went to both in the winter and then the Adirondacks, we were just, we had a cabin within the park. Something historically similar about Adirondack park is it was the first, maybe the first I know it was his first state park in New York, but there's something significant about it being maybe the first um, uh, preserved area conservation area because Yosemite came after that with the, with Murin um, Mm -hmm. with the glasses, Teddy. Uh, Teddy. Yeah. (laughs) So like uh, that is his, his his stick, historically significant. And also the Catskills is historically significant because it was the playground of the New Yorkers who would go up there and uh, they have some great mountains there too. There's a little town called Margaretville. Um, if you ever find yourself in the Catskills in Margaretville, there is a little cafe, a French cafe called Cafe Marguerite that you should definitely stop in some of the best pastries and beautiful coffees. The chef from New York has a spot out there. Really cool dude.
1: Now, you mentioned doing some research about the people who have been on the trail before you, uh, and then you kind of dived off into a, a side trail. What were some of the names you discovered have been on that trail that we would recognize?
2: Well, we're we looking at uh, like Granny Gatewood Yeah, on the AT was uh-huh. great. And then also, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was the first guy to do the AT in its entirety. He was a soldier, came back from World War II. And uh, I think that's how he dealt with his PTSD Mm -hmm. and nobody believed him that he actually did it. So he had to go sit down with the people on the trail um, and show him his kind of his notes or explain to him different things before they gave him credit. I think he did it three more times too, Mm -hmm. which is absolutely fantastic. And then you think about all of the people that I see on social media that have been on that trail and I'm like, yo, so I've shared that moment with you at a different time and seeing right. those sites and just people are constantly, uh, on those trails and then they move the trails. Right. So in Connecticut, there's a 25 mile stretch of the AT that is now, um, the section in Kent near Kent falls, where it is an ADA, uh, accessible area where there's a little spot where you could run a wheelchair out there. So somebody could experience the Appalachian trail, which I think is absolutely fantastic but I discovered this as the Mohawk trail as a 25 mile side trail. So all of these people went on the AT on this trail, they weren't on the new stretch. So I was able to grab one of my friends um, who's a a very adventurous young lady named Michaela, which we've never dated. Um, Think about it. I probably would have dated her. I just, we never had that interaction. We were just friends through work uh, through hospitality And, uh, she would just go on rad adventures with me. She did part of the AT with me. And when I took her on this Mohawk trail and we banged it out 25 miles in one day. So that was our, it was kind of like a through hike that day. And there is some significant historical things on that trail because there is, uh, the civilian conservation Corps, the CCC, Mm -hmm. they built a lot of the shelters in new England as part of the new deal. So you have this red mountain shelter that's there from 1933. That's still standing there. That is just tremendously beautiful to see something that was such a part of our recovery um, after the depression. And she banged that out with me. And there's still two trail markers. You know, the Appalachian trail markers, how they put them in the ground. They say AT and they're metal. There's still two on there. And that that was some tough hiking. It's just that I think that the landowners wanted to move it because they were scared that the National uh, Scenic Trail Committee would uh, uh, annex their land. I went through some farmland and old growth forest, cruising around some serious hiking through some different ravines. So anybody that's doing that hears this and is going to do the Appalachian Trail, if you've got the time, break off and do the Mohawk Trail as a 25-mile side trail. And it is is mind-blowing, some of the stuff you'll see there. You'll really, really enjoy it.
1: Sounds like it's well worth it.
2: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Would highly recommend it
1: fascinating stuff all day. Fascinating. Uh, what, what's your next adventure? What do you got planned?
2: Uh, you know what? I, uh, I'm probably going to get with uh fancy pants or Johnny blaze and we're going to just do some more fun day hiking and then go eat snacks after it. But I think now that there we got pounded with snow at the end of December, it was like snowmageddon, a bunch of snow, broke all the snow records for the time. And then we barely got anything else.
1: That's right. Yeah. Dried up, so- stopped.
2: I don't think there's much snow up there. So I reckon we might be able to go back up to uh, Echo Lake and bang out some miles on the PCT. We had a hard time uh, getting very far because the, where the, where the PCT cuts through um, from Echo Lake, it's kind of cut into the side of the Hill mm-hmm. and uh, it's covered in snow. So we kind of followed the trail the best we could, but you just run out of time because you're snowshoeing a lot of time right. and using spikes and you can't get it. So I want to see that Aloha lakes before it gets too crowded and maybe do a, maybe do some overnight stuff.
1: Yeah. I was, I was kind of worried about my high Sierra trail permit in late June when all the snow yeah. was hitting, and then, and then it stopped. So I think, I think I'm going to be fine. So
2: yeah, you're still, you're still, uh there still could be snow up there. And also I want to get back up highway four to, to Ebbets Pass and the PCT there. And also back in that Carson iceberg wilderness, there's kind of a a 14-mile loop from Union Reservoir where I grew up camping. It goes around for a place called Elephant Rock and goes up to Lake Alpine, which is where they close Highway 4 uh, until the snow melts. And that ebbets past that Highway 4 there. It's like not a road that's got a stripe on it. It's a road that narrows in kind of a one-lane road. And there's some really beautiful sights, but it's also pretty sketchy. But that's how you get back up uh, to Reno without having to go all the way around Sacramento way and going up.
1: Got
2: it. I think I'm gonna be dabbling in some high sierra action and then uh nice I gotta I gotta get school down on the trees, I gotta get school down on the wildflowers. You know what I mean? I'm gonna I'm back out west now.
1: Nice. The pro tip insight of the week. Hey, all day, you know where we are?
2: Uh we're at the part where we're gonna talk about some stuff.
1: That's right. We talk about some stuff. Yeah. We're we're at that time of the episode where you're going to share your pro tip insight of the week. What bit of trail wisdom can you share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better?
2: All right. Now this is the one where I break out. This is the one where I give you my secret tip, right? That's right. Okay. So the trail runners, a little thin for me, especially as a plus size guy, they may work for the skinny kids. That's great. Try the temps, but I bought some very, very thin cutting boards that uh, they're flexible. And I cut that out in the shape of my insole. And I put that in my shoe under my insole and, uh, the Solomons that I did on the long trip, I couldn't do it in New Jersey cause I was beat my feet hurt, but the Solomons that I had the X ultra X ultra fours, I put that under there and man, they made a considerable difference bouncing around on pointy stuff. And then when I got to Stowe, by the time, before I got over Mansfield between being wet and walking through mud all the time, all of my shoes where the fabric was ripped apart, they were open toed shoes. And they stunk so bad because they're constantly, so I had to throw them away. But I took that plastic uh, rock guard that I made out, and there were some serious points in that, and I was very thankful. So that is my pro tip, especially if you're a plus-size hiker and you have a little addition for your thick insole, Get a, They're like $5, I think, at Walmart for a pack of three. Cut that out, and you might want to sand on the edges if you got Gore-Tex or something to protect it. But that was uh, a huge thing for me. And that's something I'd recommend for, for everyone who needs a little more of a rock guard.
1: Homemade rock guards. That, that homemade is home, homemade rock plate. That's, that's a first on on the podcast <laughs> here. Congratulations! Dude, I was
2: hoping that my pro tip was going to be awesome. So yes. I hope he picks there up you on go. that and uses that. I will tell you when I was at Stowe, I did pick up some uh, Hoka Anacapas and they had just come out mm-hmm. and there, was, they got away from like trail runners and made more of a boot trail runner and uh they were absolutely fantastic i love the cushion on them they're a little unwieldy i tried to snowshoe in them and i I would go back to the my solomons uh the solomon quest the ex fours i had to toss them 190 miles in uh going over mansfield in the rain um was scary because i had to pull myself over a crevasse i know i'm just a quick story on a segue so i know we're on we're on task uh, but we got to that crevasse where we had to pull over. And then my hiking buddy that was with me that day that I had stayed with called outlaw. She's a great, great person. First person I met 10 miles in a long trail. We were, we were together a lot of the times she noped out. She was like, nope, not doing it. So I pulled myself up over that crevasse and I got to the, um, the, the booth or whatever, you know, the ranger state, not a ranger state. It's like an education thing where they talk about the mountain stuff. Okay. And the, uh, the caretaker there made me a hot cocoa and I had that. And that got me down. I knew that I was not going to be denied because once I got down that hill, I was going to stow and I was had cold beer, hot showers, warm food. And that's where I met the long trail river. Cause Mount Mansfield is the biggest mountain in Vermont. And that water had to go somewhere. I came over that in a storm and, uh, it luckily wasn't slippery, like wet stuff could be, but it was nice having those open-toed Solomon sandals. And I will say that Solomon did give me a full, uh, credit. So I purchased another pair of quest 40s boots for that.
1: So we had a uh, crevasse. We had some cocoa. We yeah. had some, uh, some open-toed, uh, Solomons. <laughs> yeah.
2: It was, was on that? the long Trail river. And that was, that was kind of neat because it was, uh, I never seen anything like that hiking in the river, but. If you hike the long trail, you need to bring extra socks and, uh, another another pro tip here. Yeah. You got to be ready because it's wet. You're not going to walk. You're not going to walk it dry there, man. It's, it is, you prepare to be disgustingly wet. Okay. Yeah. And then I got one more pro tip for you. Okay. Before you take your new girlfriend out for a hike or boyfriend, um, make, and they say they like hiking you should vet them out first because I brought my new girlfriend to New Hampshire and we did Mount Washington, which is the biggest mountain in the Northeast on a day hike. And she was MFing me the whole way. But I said, when we got to the top and you saw that view, you're going to love it. when we get to the bottom and I had to help her. I had to wait for her a little bit, which gave me a break. So I wasn't really mad about it, but we got to the, to the bottom. We were hiking in the dark for an hour. Cause I was like, it's only like seven or eight miles. We'll be able to bang that out in a few hours. And, uh, that's some vertical gain. I think it was almost 4,000 feet of vertical gain up the Ammo Trail, which is tough and beautiful, and then came around to the Jewel Trail. But we did it. She was happy. But uh, yeah, she wouldn't go hiking with me much after that.
1: You got to vet them out. Otherwise, you're, you're looking for a new adventure girlfriend.
2: Yeah, she's yeah. quit. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with All Day. I want to thank him for joining us this week all day. How can our listeners keep up, keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures?
2: I would say the best thing to be would be history through hiking on Instagram. And it's uh through THRU like through hiking. Uh, and then also, if you want to learn more about me as a human, uh, cocktail Raj on Instagram, cocktail ROG is my main account where I talk all about coffee and cuisine and usually the goofy adventures I take. And sometimes I cross over just to try to get more people interested in what I'm doing for the hiking. But Instagram is the best. I do send it to my Facebook. Um, I don't look at Facebook at all. Uh, Just send it to that. But you can find me on Facebook and you'll see my content uh, go through to that. But I think Instagram is the best. And I look forward to putting out more and exciting historical content. And then also, if you out there in the listening world or the viewing world on YouTube have ideas for me or want to join me and do some cool history adventure stuff, I'm always down for that. Reach out to me and uh, Birds of a Feather flock together.
1: Okay. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakingmuir at gmail.com. The Adventure
0: Media Recommendation.
1: All day, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, some sort of adventure media that'll keep our listeners connected to the the outdoor adventures. We're calling this our Adventure Media Recommendation. What do you have for us?
2: Okay, I actually have two today. I don't know if that's allowed, but they're books. Okay. One is called On Trails by Robert Moore, and the other is The Adventures in the Wilderness by W.H.H. Murray. We'll start with On Trails. Now, On Trails, this dude was hiking the Appalachian Trail. This isn't necessarily a hiking book. It's more of like a, whoa, open your mind book. And this guy starts thinking about how everything has come before you down to like the amoebas and microorganisms Everything is on a path and you're you're taking that path and following that path and how the natives followed the animals and how we followed the natives and then how everybody's on a on their own path and how they intertwine. It's a tremendous book um, to read. And it's also it's not straight hiking. It's more of just an eye opening book.
1: Right. I read that book. It's profound. It's uh, right. It it, it covers Uh, a lot of ground and really opens your eyes.
2: Highly recommend that. And then this other book is uh, Adventures in the Wilderness, W.H. H. H. Murray. So this is the world's first, maybe not the world's first, but I I guess so. It's the very first book on camping in America. Uh, Camping started out as a kind of religious retreat for people to go out. And this guy um, started, I think he actually started as a pastor or uh, a religious person, so to speak. I'm not really good with religion, so I don't know much, but. It was really originally published in 1869, and it talks about the gear you should bring, how you should interact, uh, all of the really, really cool things um, that we kind of now um, do on a daily basis. That was the world's first camping manual. And I just think that that is just such such a neat kind of thing, and it's historically significant, so that's why it's in my book collection.
1: Yeah. I mean, two, two books right there that are historically significant deal with history. I mean, what, what yeah. a surprise coming from you,
2: yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and don't get <laughs> wrong. The National Geographic trail maps and the Fallon guides are, are great for yeah. exploring, but these books really put you in that mindset and they kind of take you away and you're, you're there visualizing that.
1: Yeah. Have you ever heard of the high trips put on by the uh, Sierra club?
2: No, but uh, um, you
1: gotta, gotta yeah. check that out. It has nothing to do with Johnny blaze and his group. But yeah. the uh, Sierra Club would organize these high trips where it was, a, it was a concerted effort to get more of America exposed to the backcountry and what, what it was all about. And they would, they would it, it was uh, led by a bunch of educators who had started up the Sierra Club, a bunch of professors from, from you know, the University of California, Berkeley, and okay. they'd, they'd take these groups out. And would, they'd have different sessions on different aspects of what they were seeing and interacting with out there. And they, they would go for you know, a few weeks and it just uh, kind of ties in with, with, with what, what you were talking about there. A little bit of history, a little bit of exposing people to the natural world. And I think I, have, I think there's an episode I did on it in season one on the high trips. It's a short episode. I think it's only like 20, 25 minutes, but uh, fascinating stuff.
2: Yeah. I definitely, definitely want to look at that. That's, that's really awesome.
0: What have we not asked you?
1: Hey, and before we wrap things up, I've got one more segment for you called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? Uh,
2: You know, I think that, uh, I, I didn't get a chance in my history to talk about the transcendentalists. Did I say that right? I don't know. It's close. It's close. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, with, uh, Ralph Walder Emerson and, uh, Hen- Henry David Thoreau. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Looking at Mount Monadnock and those dudes were the first kind of hippies. That's right. In America, Cause they weren't vibing with the 1700s peoples. They started their own and they also had a respect for nature and individualism. And, um, that to me, it was just like, these guys were hippies before the summer of love. And they were going against the grain and they were like, we don't want to cut all these trees down. We want to immerse ourselves in these trees and get their good tidings, mm-hmm. you know, a la Muir. Um, that to me is something that uh, I'm glad that we had this segment because I wanted to touch on that. And uh, if you go back and you look at some of the writings, even Herman Melville using uh, Mount Greylock, kind of seeing the whale to write Moby Dick. Mm -hmm. Um, supposedly influenced that and you know he went there but those dudes spending time and those guys were the literary minds and and thinkers of the time and just immersing themselves in nature and accepting it for what it is and and really appreciating it i think it led to a lot of what happened uh in conservation
1: yeah i think it was emerson that uh wrote about you know the concept of being a transparent eyeball which is, you know, just being the the ultimate observer out there in nature, just soaking it all up and yet you're not intruding because you're transparent and just, you know, kind of being one with nature and soaking it up and observing it all and taking it all in. So, yeah, I, I'm glad that you came back to that. Glad to ask that oh, question.
2: Thank you. You know what? I would also like to see if there's anybody who's listening to this, that's in my area that is a geologist, an arborist, a fungi specialist, Butterfly, any of those people that you want to go hiking, you want to talk my ear off and tell me what I'm looking at. I'm for it because the, that would make me a much better, um, outdoor person.
1: Okay. You can reach me at cocktail Raj or history through hiking.
2: Through hiking. Okay.
1: Well, that is a wrap from the John Freaky Muse studio. Any shout outs to friends and family all day?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We definitely have a shootout to, uh, Michaela Roy, who was, super dope hiking with me. And she's a great friend. She's very talented. I love her a lot. Shout out to her. Shout out to my adventurous girlfriends, uh, Rachel, Ashley, and Cherokee, um, who were my girlfriends in the East coast that spent some time going on these great adventures for me. Shout out to the butchery in Vermont, uh, little river in and Stowe was the best BNB I stayed in. Um, you know what? Shout out to Johnny Blaze, my boy John. I'm so happy I went to high school with him, and uh, being able to take some adventures with him, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, sky's the limit. And shout out to all my new friends that I'm gonna make, and all the people I'm an adventure with because I want to hang out with you.
1: I'm a little disappointed all day. Not a single shout out to Gordon Ramsay.
2: <laughs> he doesn't even know I exist. If I'm gonna shoot out <laughs> to one of the celebrities, I may be Gary Clark Jr. because he was cool cat, man.
1: All right. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you spent the afternoon hanging by your gator from a root. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.
2: Embrace the suck.